Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello. <laughs> I'm hi, waving to the hi, live Nikki. <laughs> I know most people are actually just listening to this. Very yes. few are actually seeing us in video, but I'm waving to you, too, in spirit. You are. It yes. is super fun. Uh, if you are a, a member of Taking Control, the ADHD group, or a supporter of us on Patreon, you would be seeing this live stream right now. Uh, and we sure hope you consider that. Uh, Patreon.com slash uh, the ADHD podcast. Uh, thank you for your continued support. Uh, we have a return guest, a return return guest, friend of the show, Linda Rogley, is back with us. We we talked too long last week, and we realized that we we just got so excited about what we were talking about that we didn't get to the most important part, which is your questions. Uh, you wrote in some great questions. We've distilled them and and compressed them and put them in a format that Linda is going to take on today. Nikki, am I right? You're right. I am right. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah. All right. Well, kick us off. All Where right. do you want to start? Yeah. Okay. So this is what I did, Linda. I I um, told everybody you were going to be on the show on Facebook and asked, you know, what questions do you want for Linda, who is an expert in women in ADHD? And uh, I I have five really good questions. The last one I'm going to leave uh, because it's it's a doozy and it's it's really important. Not that the other four aren't important, but I think it's going to take a little bit longer to answer. If that makes sense. All right, first question. What symptoms should parents be looking for specifically in elementary school age girls diagnosed with ADHD when deciding if medication is needed? Well, I think that, so thanks for having me back. I'm first of all, thank you very much for having me back. And second of all, um, so the decision about medication or no medication depends on from a, from a clinical point of view, how impaired is your daughter? How, and, and what I mean by impaired, I don't mean that she's, she's sinking. I just simply mean that is she able to keep up with schoolwork? Is she, um, is, does she have friends? Um, the, all those kinds of things. So if a child, if a young, first of all, let's start at the beginning. Young girls are more difficult or, or more often missed, more difficult to diagnose is where I was going, but actually it's not difficult to diagnose if you know what you're looking for. Um, a lot of young girls are, most young girls are inattentive. So they're the dreamy, creamy, staring out the window kind of kind of look and because young girls are 
all girls are still socialized to sit still and be nice and, you know, don't make trouble, a lot of little girls miss because of that. Their ADHD is, their, their brains are still really distracted. Like they're not paying attention to the teacher, but they're also not running around the classroom like often hyperactive little boys are. So inattentive little boys are missed as well. So the piece, so number one, if, if your daughter, and I'm assuming it's your daughter you're talking about here, if your daughter is diagnosed with ADHD, first of all, congratulations, because somebody did a good job of catching it. If your daughter is tends to be hyperactive or what is called combined type, which is a little bit of each, a little smattering of salt and pepper or and attentive and, and hyperactive, she's probably chatty Cathy. Um, she's probably talking to her friends. She may be passing notes in class, all that kind of good stuff. Um, the the key is, does she still have friends? Do friends invite her to their birthday parties? Or is she ostracized? Because so many elementary school kids with ADHD simply don't aren't able to have know what the social skills are because they don't pay a lot of attention to social cues. And that in itself may be an indication for, for taking medication. But I, I don't. I, I'm objecting a little bit to the to the format of the question because does it mean it, medication that a child needs? Is that the only way to treat this? No, it's not. So maybe instead of in addition to or instead of medication, depending on what the what the issue is, whether it's academics, maybe it's a tutor that can work one on one with a child and not, and in very short segments, not long hour long segments, because attention is going to going to vary and it's going to wander. Or perhaps it's something that is um, that is more interesting. Remember, we got to stimulate that dopamine, even in little kids' brains. Um, maybe it's something more interesting like that. Maybe it's a software program that can help learn the addition t- or the time tables or whatever it else it ends up being. And or maybe it's a coach for an, uh, an elementary child because coaches are, are there are many, many more coaches who are working with young children and they're, they really know ADHD. Be sure you make work with a certified coach that, or at least one who has specific ADHD training uh, because then they'll be able to really work with, work with your child. And so I think medication is one wing of this, but I think if your child is diagnosed with ADHD, some kind of treatment is important. Just knowing about it is important, but that also can be a shaming piece for a child. So instead of making such a big deal about, well, that you have ADHD and you need to sit here and whatever, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to close the shades. You can't look out the window. No, that's the worst thing you can do because a child with ADHD needs to get up and either run around or have some distractions. So, um, treatment's really important, but you know, gear it to your child. And I'm sorry, I kind of wandered all over, but that's a, no, that's my and one, <laughs> one thing I want to kind of bring back to the very first thing you said is, first of all, congratulations. Can you expand a little bit on that? Because I'm sure there are some people saying, congratulate me on what? Like, what, what, what am I congratulating me on? And, and I love that you said that. So can you just give us a little insight on, on where that's coming from? Absolutely. Because um, children who are diagnosed with ADHD, well, people who are diagnosed with ADHD in childhood tend to have a more successful lifetime pathway, if you will. The earlier you are diagnosed, the better off you are. So if you have a daughter in elementary school who has been diagnosed, number one, that means somebody's paying very close attention to your daughter, whether it's you or whether it's a teacher. So I know a lot of parents may hear from a teacher, well, I think your daughter may have ADHD and they're horrified. They're, oh no, or they, or they deny it. And they're like, well, so what if they have it? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, my child's not crazy. That kind of attitude. Cause it's a mental thing, right? It's something wrong with your brain, but it's not really something wrong with it. It's just different. Just as every, you know, somebody who is, um, 
you know, who, who like sports instead of the ballet. That's just a difference. That necess- that's not necessarily that ballet is bad or that sports are bad. It's just different. We have different interests. So remember, too, that this is a physiological issue. And as the longer it goes, the more coping strategies that your child may create for herself that may not be really effective. So if you can get in there and help her, and I'm going to say this in two ways, help set up structure for her, but more importantly, set up structure with her. Because a lot of folks get to the end of high school with their ADHD child, and they've been able to kind of support them. And what Tom Brown, Dr. Tom Brown calls scaffolding. He says, you know, if you can build scaffolding for a child, then they can stay within those boundaries and actually be successful. But too often, a child gets to the end of high school, goes off to college, and there's no scaffolding because the parent has set that scaffolding up. The child doesn't know how to do it for themselves. So I think Mm -hmm. almost every Everybody who talks about transition from high school to college talks about how you help your child do this. And think about how much easier that would be if you started back in elementary school. There was this is one a story that I heard years and years ago, my very, very first ADHD conference. Um, Sandy Maynard, who is an ADHD coach in the Washington, D.C. area, was working with a little girl and she couldn't get up in the morning. She couldn't remember what she was supposed to do. She didn't tell her how how she should do that. She said, What would help you get from one place to the other that you know you have to get out of your bed and then you have to brush your teeth or or you have to get to the bathroom or what, you know, they're your clothes or what what would help you? The little girl came up with a brilliant idea. They put colored tape on the floor from her bed to the first place she was supposed to go. And then they had a different color tape going to the next place she was supposed to go. And she created that herself. So academic coaches will help your child learn how to study and all that kind of stuff. But, but regular ADHD coaches help the, you or your child, because a lot of you have ADHD too, because it's sometimes genetic, often genetic. Mm-hmm. They ask you to help figure out what's going to work for you. And they ask your child that same question that Sandy Maynard said, what would work for you? And the little girl figured out a, a solution that was brilliant under any circumstances. So who would ever would have thought of that except that little girl? So yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Okay, so this this is a small question with a lot of answers, I think. Uh, number two, what parenting techniques are helpful for moms with ADHD who are raising kids with ADHD? Wow, that's a loaded question. It is a huge question. And I think, and I, and I dealt with it without even realizing I had ADHD and I didn't know I had ADHD kids. So I was doing a lot of yelling and screaming or being really frustrated or trying to, trying to read parenting books and figure out how they would work for me. And they didn't work for me because remember, one of the most important things that every parenting book says is that consistency is the most important thing. And oh, guess, I hate that. And guess what? I can't. We're even, not consistent. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I can't. I can't even get myself up at the same time every day, let alone you know. So, so in some respects, so especially if you have a school age child, let's just talk about school age children. Um, that actually helps you because their routine is yours. You know, you have to get up. The school bus is coming, so forth and so on. That's not true of everyone. I've actually talked to women who get their children to school three or four hours late. So it's not universal. It's not, not everyone can do that. But um, 
How you do that is I'm going to actually refer you to Impact ADHD because they, because Elaine and Diane, the two founders of Impact ADHD, um, have created an approach to parenting that they call the coach approach. And rather than reasoning with the child saying, now this is the reason you should do this and or scolding or yelling, as in my case was sometimes happen, um, they actually get you on the same team as your child. And to be able to be on the same team and to be able to say, okay, this is what's going to happen. How would it work? How, how can we make this happen? Well, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. Okay, but we're going to do it. So let's figure out the best way to do it. The other thing that, and I'm going to let Impact ADHD and what they call their sanity school, which I just, I can't say enough wonderful things about either one of them. But I will say this in, in, from me, and that is that children with ADHD feel like failures no matter what you say to them, because they are at school. As I just mentioned, they have social skill issues. They feel like they're not keeping up with their classmates, or they say the wrong thing, or or that they're in trouble with the teacher, any of those kinds of things. So what they need most from you is acknowledgement. What they need most from you is support, knowing that coming home and being at home with mom or dad or, or another relative is a safe haven instead of another place that they're going to be criticized and another place that they're going to be made wrong. So even if you can find one single thing that this child is doing right, acknowledge it. Wow, John, that is a fabulous way that you tied that shoe today. I love the way you did that. Even if they screwed the other shoe up. I love the fact that you came in and you and you put your book your book pack down on the on the table instead of on the floor. I mean maybe it's maybe the book pack was supposed book bag was supposed to go in his room, but if you can acknowledge even small increments, that's what's going to make a difference. And it kind of comes from the woo-woo stuff out there, the existential stuff about what you focus on expands. If you focus on what's right with your child, you're going to get more of that. If you focus on what's wrong, they're going to give you more of that. Because remember with kids, that old saw, attention is attention is attention. They're going to look for it somewhere, even if it's the only way they can get it. Is And, and I'm not saying they're doing this on purpose. But children's self-esteem and self-compassion is so low in, in ADHD kids unless they have an intervention from someone who cares. And it... it I would prefer that it be you guys, the parents, but it could be from some other person. It could be a teacher. It could be a friend. It could be a, an aunt or an uncle, but they need somebody on their team. So that's, those are. Oh, I just want to add something. We had Elaine on the show. Uh, it's been a while now. It's been probably uh, several months. Um, but one of the questions I had was, okay, so you have a child, they did their homework, but they forgot to turn it in. Like they left it at home. So do you, you know, take it to the school or do you let them like, what, what do you do? And one of the things that I loved what she said, which is exactly what you're saying is that they did the homework. You meet them where they're at and you tell them, you know, congratulations for doing that homework, take it into the school. And then next time you work on, you know, how do we get it into the backpack and turned in? But, you know, like you said, you got to acknowledge them for doing the homework. Don't just let them learn this hard lesson that, isn't the right lesson for them to learn. Absolutely. And I think that another a really important point here is that if you haven't been doing this, don't let you don't don't beat yourself up for this. Right. There's always an opportunity to start. There's always another another day that you can start doing this. And if you forget and you start into your old routine of, you know, I'll just use my yelling kind of thing as a as a as an opportunity. Um, don't worry about it. Just you can you actually can say to your child, you know what? 
I didn't really mean to yell at you today. And there's other things I can do better because what that models for them is it models them for them an opportunity for them to make mistakes and say, yeah, you know what? That's not what I really meant here. So let me try something different. It's really powerful. I'm glad you bring that up because it's so easy for us as the parent to feel guilty. And what you're saying is don't, don't let that go. You have, you have a different, you can do something different today. You can start now. So I love that. Very cool. Absolutely. Okay. Number three, uh, what are some things that are present in female ADHDers that are not in males that we should be aware of? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked a lot about this last week, but I, but I want to mention it again because, of course, the biggest difference in men and women is hormone. You know, they, testosterone is not the same, doesn't have the same impact on ADHD that estrogen does and simply and, and largely because testosterone doesn't ebb and flow. I mean, estrogen ebbs and flows every single month with our uh, normally in a normal period situation, uh, um, estrogen cycle, or excuse me, a menstrual cycle. Um, and then, of course, it also ebbs and it, it, it ebbs. It really, you know, excuse me, it flows dramatically at pregnancy. And it also has this little ebbs and flows pattern eventually going down to almost nothing at menopause. So that's certainly one thing that's really important. And it sounds like, oh, yeah, well, estrogen, so what big deal? Except that estrogen works in the brain to help strengthen neurotransmitter connections. And that's what we need up here in our prefrontal cortex. We need some more of that dopamine. We need some more of that um, norepinephrine so that we can actually not only come up with great ideas because we're great at ideas, but actually to (laughs) to execute those ideas as well, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's one important piece, but there are also some others, other important differences. And it's not that men don't, don't have depression, don't, don't have depression and, and those diagnoses, but many, many more women are diagnosed with depression sometimes instead of ADHD, um, and often in tandem with ADHD. A friend of mine who's a psychologist says that, di- that psychiatrists diagnose what we know and what men, what di- excuse me, let me start over. What psychiatrists know, men or women psychiatrists, um, they know that women tend to suffer from depression. So if someone comes in with, I'm really, you know, I'm screwing up, I can't do it, I can't focus. Well, some of those symptoms can be the same as depressive symptoms. So often women are diagnosed with depression instead of ADHD. So when we talked about congratulations on, on having your daughter diagnosed, we also have to say that to ourselves. And often what happens is that Women with ADHD who are already adults um, sometimes find out about their ADHD when their daughters or their sons are diagnosed with ADHD, and they kind of go, oh, the little light bulb comes on. And sometimes they get into a situation where they have a second or a third child, or they're in the job situation where they just gotten promoted into management or something, and suddenly everything gets harder. Um, that's one of the things that well, Lori Dupar talks about t- tipping points for women. There are certain tipping points when ADHD shows up. So what Dr. Ellen Lippman talks about is that a lot of women come to her because they're self they're self diagnosed and they go to, go to her to be you know to be validated for the diagnosis. You know what? I think I might have ADHD. So differences are that women will tend to go more often to be diagnosed when they get to be adults. Um, men tend to not do that. Men tend to say, no, no, it's fine. I'm fine. No, it's nothing. But remember too, that men, not often, but sometimes, I was, the reason I say often is because almost all men in, in, back in the day used to have secretaries. That covered up a lot of ADHD. 
You know, I mean, somebody's doing something for you. It's like having a wife, you know, it's like having a wife at work. And sometimes wives did that too, back in the fifties, perhaps the fifties or sixties when we didn't even know. Not now. No, not now, baby. (laughs) That's for sure. Never. Right. So anyway, anyway, so that's another, another piece of that. And then the other piece is that women tend to be far more emotional with their ADHD. The emotions tend to be, um, more prev, more, more out there. Um, they tend to be more mercurial, uh, but remember too, that an, an anger outburst, we just talked about, you know, anger with kids and that can happen when you have ADHD and they just, I mean, let's face it, kids can drive you crazy and it's just like, <laughs> you just want to, you explode, right? <laughs> so, and, and you, and then you feel bad because the little kids over there going, what did I do kind of thing? So, um, but the thing about ADHD is that we often have that burst of anger and then it dissipates very quickly. Whereas if you're working with someone who doesn't have ADHD, an adult I'm talking about, they may take that anger outburst and hang on to it for a long time. And ADHD folks might not hang on to it, but they might ruminate about a, a perceived injustice. So, you know, someone, you know, glanced askance at me kind of thing and they'll proceed, they'll, they'll do that. And there was one more piece about emotions that I was going to talk about. Uh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. It was emotional. Oh, I know. It was also about um, research that Dr. Stephen Henshaw has done. And although his research only now includes women who are in their early 20s, um, he's done the only, that, to my knowledge, the only longitudinal study starting with girls when they were at elementary school and followed them all the way through um, a childhood into early adulthood. And what he's found is that women with ADHD, at least young women, tend to have more um, serious issues with self-injury. Meaning that they're more likely oh, to—they're more likely to do—they're more likely to cut themselves. They're more likely to burn, and they have a higher risk of suicidal ideation, which means they're thinking about committing suicide. So that kind of goes hand in hand with depression. But the sad piece is, is that because of impulsivity, ADHD folks in general, but women in particular, have a higher level of successful suicide. So I don't oh. think I don't think you can call that a symptom. That's kind of an end result and a tragic yeah. one. But there certainly are some significant differences in men and women. And I probably have left out the most important one, which is kind of at the bottom of all this, is that women tend to have, not always, but tend to have many more role expectations than men do. Um, single, single dads, I get it, you know, stay at home dads, they kind of have those same things, but I think they even, even, even that is done differently. But women are expected to not only manage a household and take care of the children and, and keep their job and make sure that they're a good spouse or a partner, whatever that ends up being, but they're also supposed to make it look easy. You know, like let fry it up in a pan and never let them know, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, it's unfortunately, even now, and this is the year 2018, even now, that social expectation still underlies even younger women who say that they don't have it. Because it's just, it's so prevalent. It's, it's, that's kind of been inherited too. It's kind of been pushed down and farther and farther and farther. So um, going back to Dr. Henshaw, he wrote a wonderful book called The Triple Bind. So if you have a daughter strongly suggest you read that book. It's not necessarily about ADHD, but it talks about how devastating it is for young girls these days to try to be really thin and be beautiful. And they have to be really smart and they have to be really, um, you know, gregarious and they have to be over all these, all this social pressure. And it puts girls, all girls, including ADHD girls in this pressure cooker of expectations. And it's just, it's horrible for them. So please, please don't do that to your child, even though society already does it, unfortunately. 
and the yeah. internet and the internet and Facebook and oh, Instagram. I know. <laughs> It's scary. Okay, yeah. we're going to move on away from that question. Because but don't that worry, just we'll be back so, around. <laughs> I brings up so much anxiety because I have a 12-year-old daughter. So, and there you okay, go. moving on. Uh, all right, so this question, I am lucky to work from home. How do I concentrate on work when there are so many things to be done in the house? Again, roles. I try to divide my time into work blocks and home blocks, but I still find myself getting sidetracked. Oh, oh yeah. boy, do I Ugh. relate to that. No, no, all I, of us do because we all three work from home. I absolutely. mean, we get it. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I started when I started my own company, some, gosh, it's been 20 years since I've been working as an entrepreneur. When I did it, I worried. I thought, am I going to have enough discipline to actually work instead of just screwing around and wasting time all day long? Even the, before I even knew about my ADHD, this was a long, long time ago. And I think that I don't think there are easy answers to that question, except, well, let me just say, unless, unless you are able to compartmentalize your work um, station, if you will. And I don't know if that's always possible because let's face it, some of us work on the kids on the dining room table for Pete's sake. Our, our offices are stuffed into a corner in our bedrooms, which makes it really, really difficult. So um, what I find to be true is that um, I'm going to say this and I'm going to tell you my not so funny solution to my own situation. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what I find to be true is that I can't be bothered. I can't be interrupted. So personal phone calls, I'm so tempted to pick that phone up because it always, they all ring into my phone, right? Because what if I need to talk to somebody, right? So I have to, I have to put that on do not disturb so that I absolutely do not do that. Um, this is where hyperfocus comes into very good use so that when I get, when I get into this place of I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, it's okay. And we, we talked a little bit um, last week about the advantages of having some help. So I, I have, I don't have kids at home anymore. I used to, and I, my office was offsite. So it was easier, right? I was mm -hmm. on entrepreneur, but I was offsite. But now that my office is here in my home, I've got dogs and dogs need attention too. Now they're not like kids and they're not going to go, mommy, you know, but they still whine. No, they and just whimper. bark. Yeah. They bark and whine <laughs> and they scratch at me and they want to be petted. And all. So I know this is going to sound silly, but I hired a dog nanny. <laughs> nice. That's great. That's awesome. I love that. She also cleans my house. So that's nice too. But um, at least, I mean, I can close the door and, and they don't come downstairs. And so I'm, I'm, but then I'll still scratch at the door if she's not taking care of them. So she takes them out. And I know that not everybody has dogs, but, but the theory is still the same is that you need to be able to close off from those distractions. But every time I go upstairs and get a drink of water, cause I don't have a refrigerator down here. Every time I go upstairs and there's the laundry sitting there, or there's the mail I need to sort, or there's this. So it, it literally has to be um, like the rubber band on your arm. You know, you snap it and it's like, nope, back to work kind of thing. So there are certain things that you can do with that. Um, the other thing that, that I, I really, I'm, and that the dog nanny wasn't the funny thing. The other thing was that I finally had to get an office away from my office. <laughs> so I rented office space, just, just a teeny little office so that I can go there and nothing. I don't have a phone there. I'm nothing. 
and there's no windows and there's no nothing. So it's almost like, like isolation. And some people they, can do they that. they call that a cell. They I think do, they do call say, that. Like solitary yeah. they do. confinement, right? But, yeah. But there's a word. There's already yeah. a word for that. <laughs> but, but as long as it's heated and cooled and as long, I mean, and, and I can put pictures on the wall so that it's not depressing for heaven's sake. So that, <laughs> but, but I mean, you can do the same thing with, um, like I have a little garden shed out in my, in my garden. So if I can just, if I could go out there, I could, I could fix that up. You could do a corner of, you know, whatever your bonus room or something like that, but just and, or and it doesn't have to be a cell. It can be um, those those portable um, what, room divider kind of things, those screens, right. so that you're so that you're in there by yourself, and you can still hear noise if you're in your house. But again, it's about keeping this space um, focused, and I use that word deliberately because this needs to be work. And it's, you know, I've, I've heard people say, like with their kids, oh, well, you shouldn't ever do anything in bed. You, know, you shouldn't work in bed. And you shouldn't have your kids in bed with you. You should only have bed. Your bed should be for sleeping and sex. That's the only thing you should use it for. And I don't know anybody who does that, but maybe somebody does. But it's, a, but, I, but it's the same theory with your workspace. This is work. And if you have a phone call that you see comes in on your personal line, force yourself to go get it on another phone because that's a different place than this is. And I'm saying this as if this all works, and I know it's hard. I just want you to know that I empathize completely with how difficult this is. But that's that's the best I got right now. Try me later. That's the the, the funny thing is it. I find it it comes with uh, it, it ebbs and flows. My success with it ebbs and flows with that sort of intrinsic motivation, right? It's like True. when when I'm working on a project that I'm I, I I'm selectively able to hyper focus on and I'm excited about. It's really easy to flush the phone calls from mom and dad mm-hmm. or flush the phone calls from people and but, and ignore the dishes. And, yeah, 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 right. But the the challenge that I have with it is my goodness, hyper focus also is uh, it's a very much a double edged sword. I don't always get to control what I can focus on and what I am motivated by. And one day, I hey, gosh, I think today's the day I need to spend downloading all of my 400 Audible books from my account because, uh, you know, what if Audible shut down tomorrow and I'd lose all my books? <laughs> and suddenly, I, yeah, that's the that's most important really thing important. <laughs> that I can do. And I can't do anything else because of it. So, oh, I know. Trust me. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. I, I, you know, to add to the conversation, I think it's just you have good days and you have bad days. You know, yeah. you have some days that you can go in and really focus and get a lot of work done, and then you have some days where I can't tolerate the mess, and and that does seem more important. And so I start doing a little bit of cleaning or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I think it is always a work in progress too. I mean, it's taken years just to come up with some kind of routine that I have now. And that still changes all the time. Yeah. So it is, it is, I think, be patient and kind and right. Well, I mean, like absolutely. Said, focus, right. Well, I mean, like you said, focused area and just do what you can, but yeah, there, it's not a perfect there, science. There comes a gift of, uh, of habit, right? Like if you, it, you the muscle that you kind of develop is the muscle of building habit. And once you build enough accommodations in place and you kind of, uh, you know, acclimate yourself to what those accommodations are, you know, whether it's putting the screen up or having a visual reminder not to answer the phone, whatever it is, like you'll get better at it. And, and that's the, you know, we talked about sleep last week. It, it's hard work and it's okay for it to be hard work and give yourself some, give yourself some leeway, some patience, uh, and don't be too hard on yourself. I guess that's, that's my which answer. goes right into number five. Let me mention this because you talked about habit. Everyone thinks that a, a habit can be um, cemented into your life in 21 days, right? I heard the AppSard conference says four months. Yep. Four months yeah. before you can really get something in. So I just want I just want people to say, well, I did do a habit and it still didn't stick. Well, 
four months is 120 days. That's a lot longer than 21. So anyway, that's all. Well, and Linda, I got to say to that, like I have never agreed with the 21 days, never. And Pete, you know that we've yeah, had this conversation before. I've right. never understood that theory. And I even would say with arguing with the four months, it really depends if it's something that you really like to do. Like I think of exercise. I hate exercising. I hope that in four months, this Fitbit keeps me active. Like I'm really hoping for that. Um, but I know it is going at four months. It's still going to take, it's still going to be hard. Conscious. You have to be conscious yeah, about it. It's even then be conscious. I have to, when it, I, yeah. Yeah. When I first got my Fitbit, I have a, I have one with a little face on it. So you can, that's like, I got a clock and everything. So when I get my 10,000 steps, it does little fireworks and has this pretty rainbow display and all that kind of stuff. I lived for that rainbow display for the first few months. Now it's like, Oh yeah. Rainbow. <laughs> right, right. That's what I'm so afraid of. Yeah. But you're still wearing it and you're still active. So yes. that's my hope. Yeah. That's my hope. It, it again, it ebbs and flows and there were there are times when it, it doesn't work for me and the little taps on my wrist to to stand up, you know, don't work for me mostly because I'm at a stand up desk and it doesn't really help. But the, the you know, the the bottom line is like it it comes with certain reminders and the reminders are, you know, when I look at my wife and how hard she's working because she wants to live a long life for our kids and be healthy and strong. Like that those are the things. It's not the fireworks anymore so much for me. Those are an indicator that I've done something right. They are not why I'm doing something. Right. Bingo. That I, I think that's great. the difference. Sound. Uh-huh. You need that a little sound Fireworks bite. Right yeah, now. no kidding. Sound bites for that baby. Woo. That was great. <laughs> All right. You guys just both totally made my day. I'm gonna go. Fantastic. I, I'm, gonna, I'm taking the rest of the day off. Okay, so now I'm totally gonna be Debbie Downer. Oh no. <laughs> Going to the last last question. But no, it's not a downer. It's not a Debbie Downer question. I just think it's so hits on so many levels for so many people. Now it's a long question. Uh, Pete, you might want to read it. You're so good at these. All right, I'll give it a shot. (laughs) Okay. I have a question about guilt. After 37 years of managing what I thought was just forgetfulness and disorganization, I am very accustomed to the feeling that comes from letting people down. Now that I'm on meds and learning so many great coping strategies, I feel like I can do absolutely anything I set my mind to. So I've been getting these great ideas about things I could do now that might make up for all my past flakiness. I could get the girls together for a night out, finish that craft project I promised my aunt, start a meal service at my church for people post-surgery, make contact with all my old friends who got tired of me never returning calls. You get the point. So... Do you have any advice on how to control this new sense of invincibility? I love that I'm getting a handle on paperwork. I'm thinking more clearly and I'm getting systems in place. But I'm afraid if I don't rein it in, I'll be back at square one with the anxiety and depression. Okay. So I don't think you're Debbie Downer. I think you're Nikki Negative. Instead. I know. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> true. And Pete, Pete, poor, Sad. poor Pete. Um, but poor Pete. I think, yes. so let's back up. So the answer is the, she's, whoever wrote this in is exactly right. That's exactly, exactly what happens. Because remember that our ADHD brains are full of creativity, especially when we get a little space in them, which is what she's done by finding out about our ADHD and working with it and setting systems in place. It does make you feel like you're invincible. There's no question about that. So make it so, so this is the point at which our ADHD brains need to prioritize, which is not something they do well. And 
if those things are important, let's just, I, I, w- I was trying to jot them down a little bit, but, um, you know, doing the meal service and, you know, so forth and so on. Um, you can do all of those things, but it's kind of like serial monogamy. It may be that you do one of those things now and then a year from now you do another one and then another year from now. Because I know that feeling. It's it's the same feeling I get when all my counters are cleaned off. It's like possibility is there. Oh, I can do so many things. I could do this and I could do that. And I could, you know, if it was a craft project, I could do this or I could do knitting or I could, you know, make a cake or I could, you know, start a new novel or whatever. So the answer is that rather than getting take swept away by your own enthusiasm your own new enthusiasm the way to do this is to capture it first of all i call it a mind dump so i just dump out all this stuff and then being able to sort things out a little bit when you see them on paper you realize okay well how how long would something like this take you can just kind of guesstimate how long would it take who would i have to enlist to do this how many people would it take to set up a meal service how all all the, the pieces and parts that come with it and then my guess is that even though you're excited about all of them, um, my, my suggestion is to just put them away for a little bit and then come back to them maybe a week later, perhaps, maybe a month later. I don't know. But in the meantime, some of those things aren't going to be as exciting as they were then because that's what we do, right? We get excited about something, we get started with it, and then we get bored with it. So the things that are still interesting to you a week or two weeks or a month later, or even a few days later, for heaven's sake. It's what I do when I when I get on the internet and I start researching all kinds of things that I, there's something I want to buy and I research 18 different ways to buy it and this review and that review and all that kind of stuff. And then I put it in my shopping cart and I don't buy it because I want to wait to come back to see, is it still that important to me? And sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like, dang, I wish I would order that last week. but Eventually, I begin just just by um, just by time limited prioritization. I begin to realize what's really important. Yeah, I really did need that, or I've been looking for that for a long time, and here it is. So, I really, first of all, um, I should have said this to begin with. I just want to applaud you because congratulations! What an amazing story that you found out about it, and that you and that you realize it's not just lazy, crazy, or stupid kind of thing. It's your ADD, duh! It's just ADD, and now you're working with it. So, what an amazing story that you're able to come through that and then have room in your life and in your brain and in your potential to have these amazing service ideas. I heard a lot of them were service mm-hmm. ideas, which is just wonderful. So. Um, be realistic. That's number, you know, first of all, great. Good job. Second of all, write them down and then kind of think through how much, what kind of energy it would take and what kind of resources and, you know, people and all that kind of stuff. And third, allow yourself to, uh, choose one of them, choose one of them, but dang, that's hard. I want to choose all of them, right? They all are so, I want to do all of them at once, but here's where you're going. It's that old, spinning plates thing. I got this plate spinning. I got this plate spinning. I got this. And if you get too many plates, some of them are going to drop. And that's exactly when you end up back where you were. So I want to applaud you for asking the question. Because a lot of us wouldn't take time to ask the question. They would simply plunge right in and say, and try to do all of it. Exactly. So I think the fact that you are being thoughtful about this 
that you are aware of the possible pitfalls with this means that you likely are going to have success with one or more of these projects. So I just can't say enough good things about the fact that you did this. Well, you know, it's the same thing you were saying earlier about the about, you know, working with your own kids and celebrating the success of putting the book bag on the table instead of the floor, right? If you give yourself enough latitude to try one thing, be successful at it and celebrate it at, at an appropriate level that actually gives you that motivation, you'll you'll build stamina to be able to handle more things and and really leverage that invincibility. I love that uh, that Yeah, time. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember, too, that one of the I I studied with Jack Canfield years ago. And what he says, he said, what he says is that we all have a certain number of attention units. All of us, not ADD, not just everybody has a certain number of attention units. And when we and he was particularly talking about things, people, things that we might have promised somebody or we'll do that. So he he, the example he used was he was going to play tennis with an old friend of his and they talked about it. But and it was still part of his attention unit back. It was still niggling in the back of his brain. And he said, you know, that's that's taking part of my attention. So what he decided to do was. I'm going to release that. I'm either going to take action on it or I'm going to release it. So he went to his friend and he said, you know, I know we don't really have time to play tennis now. So I just want to let that go for right now. And I just wanted to clear that with you. And I just wanted to do that. And so his friend is like, yeah, I don't have time either. So he gets to let go of that little piece back there. With these kind of, with yeah. these kind of projects, you have X number of attention units. And all of those things on that list may well fit into your attention units. They wouldn't fit into mine. Because I got all these other things going on too. So make sure that you know what your limits are. And it's, there's no shame in not being able to take on every single thing you want to do. More importantly, remember that ADHD folks usually take a little longer to do things. We, even though our brain works fast and we think we can do it faster, we actually take a little bit more time. And it's frustrating as all get out because I think, oh, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. But if you know that if you can do two of those projects and do them well, even if you do them for a year and say, I'm done with that one, I'm just like Jack Canfield, I'm going to let this one go because now it's time to move on to this one. And all of those projects on that list may well still, still be really interesting and some of them may not, or their time may have passed. Well, and I think something to add to what you're saying is that if shame is the driving uh, motivator of doing something because you feel guilty about not having the girls night out or whatever. I think with you taking the time to look back and think, okay, what is most important? What, you know, how do I really feel about this? You're going to weed out those things too, because you don't have, there should not be any shame wrapped around your, your ADHD for how you, what you did a year ago or didn't do you know what I mean? So I, I think I, I I just want to add that piece is that where where is that motivator coming from? And, and is it shame? Because that's not going to be a great place to come from either. So let me just let me just mention that I just learned the distinction between shame and guilt. And what I heard was that guilt is is feeling badly about something that you did, or in this case, perhaps something that you didn't do, where shame is about feeling badly about who you are, who you are. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So what I'm what I'm hearing is that establishing that that girls night out may come from a place of shame because, oh, I didn't do that. You know, I, I pushed my friends off all this time and now they're not, you know, they don't even want to talk to me or that kind of stuff. That may come from, oh, I feel so badly about myself. Guilt 
maybe, and I agree with you about not mm-hmm. coming from a place of guilt to do this kind of stuff, but what really serves you right now? You're not yeah, the same as yeah. you were a, a year or so ago when you found out about this and started working on it. You're different. You may need different friends, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Oh, I'm going to call you lovely Linda. Oh, thank lovely you. Lovely Linda. <laughs> lovely Linda. We're At least it's not this, right? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Elfra lovely. Wow. Elfra lovely. I have lovely to, Linda. I have to say thank you so much. I feel like I'm a sponge. I'm just listening to every single word that you're saying and I get to see you, which is great because, you know, this video thing. So it's just wonderful. Thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your, you know, your, your knowledge, your, your thoughts, your ideas to our listeners. Um, it's just, I am so happy to know you, Linda. Me too. I feel the same way. I feel the same way about both of you. Oh. So thank you, Pashaw. You say that to all your guests. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> we love all our guests. Uh, this absolutely. has been really so much fun. Uh, thank you, uh, Linda. You know, before we go, I, I know you talked at, at greater length about this last week, but uh, why don't you give us the 30-second the overview of the ADHD Women's Palooza coming up? So for those who missed last week or are listening out of order, they'll know what they're missing uh, in February. Yeah, February 5th through the 10th. That's Monday through Saturday. We are doing the third Women's ADHD Palooza. It's almost an online encyclopedia of information about women. We have the top experts in the world talking only about women's issues. And we have a a whole library for the past two years, but this is brand new. So even if you came to the Palooza before, come back. It's ADHDpalooza.com. But I think that Nikki's going to have a link for you to click on to be able to get there. So um, you don't have to attend all the sessions live. The replays will be available. And remember that it's all free if you come live or in the free replays. So come see us because it's pretty darn cool. And and Nick and Nikki's going to be there too. I know. Look yeah. at this if you're in the live stream. There's Nikki on the uh, <laughs> on the, the, the panel. of um, It's like a who's who of past guests too. So uh, if you liked our past guests, there, there are a lot of them here. They're wonderful experts. And uh, it, this is such a great opportunity. So again, ADHD Palooza. Uh, and uh, it'll be in the show notes. Check it out. And Thank you so much, Linda. Sounds fabulous. It's always such a pleasure being with you guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on and share all this kind of stuff and, and be with you. It's just so much fun to be with you. It is. Well, it's fun. I love being with you and I love your 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 take on things too. It's just fantastic. Very, very sweet. Okay, so we're going to wrap up uh, here. Thank you so much, everybody who's downloaded and listened to this show. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for supporting uh, the ADHD podcast on patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. If you go there, you'll get access to weekly live streams just like this. So uh, check it out over there and see what you think. Uh, On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, the great uh, Linda Rogley, we sure appreciate it. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control the ADHD podcast.